Hi, this is Simon Peterson. I'm currently Chief Executive at Rowing New Zealand. If you're wanting to learn how to embrace change and navigate through disruption as a leader, then listen to the Leadership is Changing podcast with my good friend, Dennis Giannoutsis. Welcome to Leadership is Changing. Each week, we and our guests provide information and insights through exploring leading change. This is taking your leadership to another level by finding the balance between executive excellence and personal well-being through stories that inspire real change. It's time to adapt in our fast-moving world when leadership is changing with your host, Dennis Giannoutsas. Hey, welcome to the show, Leadership is Changing. What we as leaders know to be true is that change is constant. Leaders everywhere confront similar obstacles because people are people, but everywhere you go, leaders are overwhelmed, disrupted, and under pressure. They run from email to email, meeting to meeting. Many leaders are not changing quick enough, which means they run the risk of becoming irrelevant and being left behind. The purpose of the show is taking our listeners' leadership to another level by finding their balance between executive excellence and personal well-being through stories that inspire real change. I believe we don't have enough effective leaders in the world today, and if we can get the leaders to step up and lead change, then they can inspire real change. Hey, listeners, it's now time to adapt in our fast-moving world, and I have a wonderful guest with me today. His name is Simon Peterson. Simon is currently the CEO of Rowing New Zealand and has been in the role for 12 years. He was the former CEO of Sport Auckland, where he worked over nine years, and he is a former chairman of Paralympics New Zealand, where he was in the role for the Athens and Beijing Paralympic campaigns. And during this time in that role, he was on the International Development Committee for the International Paralympic Movement. Overall, Simon has around over 25 years experience in sports management. He's also completed a Harvard University course, Governance for Non-Profit Excellence. He's been a professional cricket coach for six years and has played first-class cricket for Auckland. This is a city here in New Zealand. And Simon's coaching and playing experience and his understanding of sports management are integral in understanding and creating high-performance environment for New Zealand's rowers. He's been a chairman of the Pinnacle Program, which is a Hawandai New Zealand-backed initiative to develop the potential of young New Zealanders across music, art, culture, and sport. He's also the director of a family-owned commercial board. And uh, he's won the New Zealand Sport and Recreation Leadership Award in 2015 with a professional development scholarship in the name of Chris Doig, former New Ze- a rowing New Zealand board member. And uh, he is uh, happily married with two young children and lives in an active lifestyle in the city of Hamilton, which is here in New Zealand. So, Simon, a big welcome to you to the show today. Good morning, guys. Yeah, great to have you here. Hey, um, I've given a, a, a background on you. Is there anything else that, you know, can you tell me anything else that you'd like to share about your background? Yeah, I guess my background in terms of leadership came as an evolution that uh, I got to travel as part of that cricket commitment and I got to work in summer camps in New York between cricket seasons in New Zealand and overseas. And I got to play in Canada for a season and, and has combined that with coaching professionally I've had a lot of people management experiences and a lot of international experiences and uh, coming into this role at Rowing New Zealand, which is a high performance focus where our crews are across uh, seven or eight countries every year. It's a very interesting mix when you talk about leadership and experiences. Yeah, yeah. yeah, Wow. And tell me, so, okay, you've done these, uh, you've had these experiences where you've got a lot of people uh, management and leadership experience. Tell me, how did you actually get into leadership? Yeah, I I started in that coaching role um, as quite a young professional coach and coaching sport, no matter what your sport and no matter what you're coaching, is a people-focused 
role. It's not it's not the technical or tactical that you're focused on. You're focused on the person. And cricket's a fantastic game that people talk about as a team game, but actually it's 11 individuals against two individuals when you're batting uh, and the other way around when you're fielding. So there's an individual component around communication and leadership that then morphs itself into the wider team coaching role. So I started my leadership evolution with that focus. And yes, I did all the certificates. I did the level ones and twos and threes, and I did all the technical and tactical stuff. But in the end, you are a people leader uh, when you're a coach and you get good people around you to help you with that leadership. And then I then I um, formed my leadership career through going into management um, at a middle management layer. And again, because it was sports management was just a nice passion to be involved with. It didn't change the fact that you had to inter and relate with people um, face to face, not over email, not technical, not gross profit, net profit, not tax, GST requirements as we have here in New Zealand, but actually people management issues. And so my leadership as it sits today was based on the foundation of working with and dealing with people from the outset. Yeah. And you mentioned before, Simon, that uh, getting good people around you For our listeners here, how important is it to get good people around you and what could you do to help get good people around you? Well, the best leaders do that first and foremost. You you get your experts in your technical fields that you need in a business sense around finance and HR and marketing and comms and all, all those things that your listeners will know about. So I choose small teams of people that are high quality and I pay them well mm-hmm. and um, I tell them that when I employ them. I don't offer as little as I can. I offer as much as I can to the people I employ, but they know they're coming into a small team. They know they'll be stretched. We don't have big groups of people, multiple people having team meetings all the time. We have individuals making decisions in a, in a flat management structure, as flat as possible so that things are efficient and effective in a fast-moving world. Yeah, excellent. I like it. I pay them as much as I can. Awesome. That's that's good to hear. Uh, well, it's interesting we're... you say that because I got offside with some of my colleagues in the industry uh, early on in my tenure as a CEO because there was a demand and supply issue in sport. A lot of people want to work in sports management. And so a lot of CEOs took the approach, well, I'll offer a, a baseline. And if someone doesn't want to take it, I know there's someone else waiting. I took the opposite approach. And of course, that got me on offside with a lot of my colleagues because they didn't like the fact that I was paying what I was prepared to pay for a good person where they were paying, I guess, baseline because of the the supply and demand issue. So I think it was a really critical decision at the time. Yeah, I think so too. And I think that, you know, one is you pay them, but it's also how you treat them and how you get them to fly and be the best that they can be around that talent that they've got, which is what you'll attract. You know, I mean, the other thing too is that I think the other way around was more of a scarcity model where you, I think you've got more of a growth mindset around, you know, this is where we want to go and let's get the right people on board to, to move things forward, which is good. Yeah, and I think these COVID times, people have realised um, it's been really accelerated that if you've got a good person, you've got to keep hold of them because someone else is going to grab them. And, you know, you've got to treat people with respect and look after them and not uh, not burn them. Yep, fair enough. So this question here is about somebody that could be alive or from history. Who's your favourite leader and why? Yeah, I've reflected on this one a long time, and I've got to say you'll be disappointed in my answer, but it's that I don't focus on an individual. I focused on attributes of individuals, and I've got some names of people that came to mind when I was preparing for this podcast. But in reality, that they are attributes of those people, not necessarily the whole. And in the end, what I look for is leaders who are prepared to develop, roll with, and implement change, but critically to see it through. And if there's one thing that irks me, are these people that call themselves change managers. Because I can identify change with you today on a whole lot of things, but if I'm not there to see it through, 
you know, how true am I actually being to the change process? Mm. And so the leaders that I look up to are the people that see the future, implement the change required to be ahead of the curve, but also see it through in those first couple of years of change. I think that's really critical. And you see that in sports management in New Zealand a lot. I mean, you can always find fault in any organization. Um, That's the easiest thing we can all do. Let's face it, in my world, you know, you read about it in the papers if someone thinks your organization isn't doing what it should be doing. But it's those people who can see forward and into the evolution of your organization, but also want to work in that space ahead of time. Yeah, I, I, I reflect on what you're just saying there based on my experience with uh, Hewlett Packard, right? We had uh, one CEO go, we had a new CEO within nine months, that one went. And so when your organization's in trouble, what do you do? Yep, that's right. You give it to a woman. And so we brought in Meg Whitman, who is the CEO. Uh, she came from eBay and she, she took over Hewlett Packard. And we went through that change management. And going back to what you said, Simon, yes, she saw the vision, she saw the future, she put the organization, took the change. And most people thought, oh, yep. So after year two, did she leave? Nope. She was there right through to year six or seven, I think. So she embedded it and made it to happen. And and that was what was really, really fantastic and a big change, which was really great to see. Yeah, that's a great example. And one of the things I look for in any leaders when I look from the outside is continuity and Mm -hmm. consistency, you know, and who they are being as a person, but also the life cycle of an organization and the fit with the CEO or the general manager, whatever the title might be, is really important part of that change process as well. So what does the organization need today? And where is that fit with the, the skill set of that leader? And, you know, you come into, you know, when I've been chairman of an organization, um, you, you might go through a phase where uh, it needs a real marketing and innovative approach. And you come into another organization and it needs, okay, the marketing innovation has been done. The PR comms are great. We now need to knuckle down and get the systems and processes in line. So you, you look at your leaders for the skill set and the life cycle of the organization and where it's at. And so in my day-to-day job now at Rowan New Zealand, we're 132 years old this year. And uh, that's pretty special. But what is the leadership required in that phase now that our athletes are professional athletes compared to even 10 years ago where they were semi-professional and 15 years ago where, you know, they were just um, doing it for the love. So life cycles of organizations and skill sets of leaders is is really critical match. Yep. Good, great. Some really good insights there for sure. Now, the the program there is called Leadership is Changing, of course. And uh, when I say that, what does that mean for you? Yeah, leadership's about time. Uh, I'm really clear on this one. It's about the time you give yourself as a leader. It's the time you give other people, your colleagues. And then thirdly, it's the time you take to make that important decision. And today we're so pressed into a reactionary world. I mean, the social media, media world wants us to make a decision to provide a reaction in the moment so that we get something wrong, so that we then create more media, which funnels more social media. And I think time as a leader is something that you do not to the detriment of making a decision. And, and the most frustrating leaders that I hear about from other people who, who are friends and colleagues in their workplace are the leaders who don't make any decision. So let's just make it clear that you've got to take time to make a considered decision. You make it with people today, not a command and control um, environment that we've been through. You do have to make a decision, but it's the getting that balance right between taking time, giving your time to people and then putting out a considered response without drifting so long that everyone gets frustrated that no decisions be made. Yeah. Hey, listeners, uh, Simon's just sharing here with us. I think, you know what, to sum it up, you've got to take control and you've got to be in control. And by being in control, leaders, it's about time. Time for you, time for you to think, time to take out and take time out to make decisions that are considered, 
with others. I love that. I love that, the fact that we do that with others. Well, critical with others. So a good leader in today's changing world and and, in New Zealand right now, it's about consultation and everybody having a view and making sure that they've been considered. And then, as you say, quite rightly, the leader making the decision and only the decision and fronting the decision and providing that continuity and consistency. But it is about making it with your staff, um, Mm -hmm. not in isolation from them. And, you know, I've, I've learned over the years that you can get caught up in what you know in the last conversation and the last email. And you can make some real mistakes as a leader in making decisions based on the latest information and not all of the information. And it's amazing what happens over a three to five day period um, in today's world where you got information on a Monday and by the time Friday came along, you knew so much more and you had so much more context that actually you didn't, you needed to make a different decision. So it's a really fine balance for a leader of today to get that timing right. Yeah. Wow. That's, that is so right. So breathe some, take some time out and think about it. Make sure you've got all the information here, listeners, which is really great. So I Simon, also, so, sorry, uh, Dennis, but also you've got to understand, understand who you are being as a leader in that moment as well. So, you know, if leaders, leadership is changing and what does it mean for me? It's me starting from who am I being as a leader in front of the person that's in front of me now and who am I being as a leader in front of the person who is in front of me tomorrow? And those groups, depending on your leadership role, will change. And we're not just talking about finance and marketing and the difference between those two groups, but we're talking about individuals and personalities. So you have to understand yourself. So anything that you can do to develop your own personal space, not just your professional space, and and become very EQ aware is so critical. I think the transition in leadership and the speed of change today is around EQ, not IQ. Now, many will argue that with me, and that's fine. I'm, I'm happy to have that debate. But a good leader has a good sense of EQ. Yeah, sure does. And I think uh, we're hearing a lot more and more from people. And I've got a question for you later on in, in relation to employees, but I think we're hearing more and more from people in the, around the world, actually, in different industries, different markets and so forth, that they are wanting to have leaders who are more authentic, leaders who are vulnerable, more transparent. Mm-hmm. And you and I know that, you know, and in particular, this country, that if you, you know, they have what we call the BS uh, radar on, if they know that you are trying to make it up on the spot, which some leaders do, and people can see through it. Uh, so we've got to really know what we're talking about, but also be mindful of what's happening. Yeah, authenticity as a leader is, is so critical. And, you know, they're all nice words, but you've actually got to live them. Yep. And, you know, EQ, so what does that mean to your listeners? Well, to me, that means that you've got to be a listener in, in the first place with the person in front of you. Have emotional intelligence and work out what that person is saying to you in their words, but also what they're delivering with their body language. How, how emotional is this versus how factual it is, how much you're responding in the appropriate way, and all those simple communication techniques that you've developed over the years as a leader. People get it. You know, some people get your response as a, in leadership in the moment and you're engaged and you come out with a good solution. Other people get it the next day and they go, oh, that's what he was thinking or that's right. what she was saying. Everybody takes time to read body language and understand the words and, and let things sit for a while. So I come back to that theme around taking time and giving people time as well. You know how you talked about body language and seeing how people, you know, we're seeing how people react and how they take on things. You know, with today us working from home more virtually uh, around the world because of uh, pandemics and so forth. I know we've got videos on certain tools and things like that that help as well. But I mean, if they didn't have the videos, how how can leaders pick up on people's reactions and the way that things are? You know, um, what what could we do? Any ideas? 
I'll give you an example of something that happened to me last week. And uh, this was a new person that I hadn't worked with before, had never met them before, um, had introdu- been introduced by a third party, and they were coming on board with an organization I'm involved with. After the team's call, which was a group call that talked specifically about technical and commercial aspects, I asked them to stay on the line and I spent 20 minutes with them just talking. And yes, you could pick up a bit of body language, but you could pick up the signals around a conversation that wasn't work-related. So I got to understand where this person was in their life, how much time they had to commit, what was a priority for them, and the work-life balance thing came up. Now, they would never say that in a meeting in inverted commas, you know, you'd never talk about those things. And so, again, um, yes, it is making it harder for people working from home, but I find that most of our staff want to want to have a gathering together over a coffee. And so I don't have a staff meeting every week. We have a coffee catch-up, and it's a subtle difference where people sit down in a relaxed cafe or a meeting room, and the, and the coffee becomes the third-party environment where you can talk to the coffee over the coffee and with the coffee rather than to the agenda and the minutes and, and the previous frustrations of the last meeting. Yeah, coming from a coffee family, my, my, my family would be very happy that you just said that because they're <laughs> having meetings over coffee, which is really good. But yeah, you're so right. I mean, it's just providing an environment whereby, you know, we can break down the barriers and so forth. And I really like what you did there in relation to meeting with that person and, and actually having some time with them personally one-on-one to hear about them. And, mm-hmm. and then so I think for them, Without them being here, they they would probably say, "Oh, here's somebody who's really interested in me, really interested in what makes me tick, and so forth." What puts you in a really good position as well? So I think spend time with people to get to know them is really really important for sure. So really fine line here in today's world, and and you know New Zealand's catching up to the US, for example, and becoming a lot more litigious. So when you spend time with people, you've still got to. Uh, have that line drawn where you can't cross that privacy line. You can't cross the conversation into a difficult topic. It's more just very, very high level friendly conversation. And just got to, as a leader, you've just got to be so careful where that conversation may go. Yep. So Simon, how has your business or industry changed? And you know, what demands has that put on you or your leadership team? Oh, it's been a significant change in in sport around the world. I'm prepared to own that statement as well. There's been a lot of exposure on a command and control model that used to be where national sports bodies or coaches of a high profile just said and did what they wanted. Some of that's true and some of that's not accurate, but there's been a real um, storm over the last two years. And I know friends in the, in the UK through to New Zealand have have been under review, as they say, with uh, independent reviews of sports management and sports coaching and command and control models. And so it's very interesting to have a commercial part to my my week and my month with the boards that I sit on, but also the not-for-profit sector where I, I guess, Dennis, the, um, the social media world and the mainstream media having gone to opinion pieces has just opened up this very unfair playing field where you can just say anything you like with no context and no justification just because you've got an opinion. And so our world, to answer your question directly, and the sports management world has been really turned on its head because everybody has an opinion, and that's fine. We're entitled legally to an opinion, but that's actually gone to a new escalation level where that opinion gets airtime it would never have got before. Yeah. And as you said, it's taken out of context possibly uh, at times or it doesn't have the whole picture or context there. As you said, you know, like before, you know, you know something on Monday, but then by the end of Friday, you know a lot more. Well, if you actually took a decision, you did a little piece here rather than taking the whole picture into, into, into account, that's really important. Same with this. 
Uh, and I think there's very much a gotcha kind of mentality. We, we got you kind of scenario, which is really interesting to see. And just on that, so on that theme again, you're dealing with the media and I've learned in this role for the last 12 years, you cannot be a reactionary leader. You, you've got to take that time. So when something goes on social media, I don't give it any credibility. I don't react to social media. If mainstream media start picking up the phone or creating something, I don't react. You know, I don't turn around a press release or a response or go on camera within that afternoon. I just don't buy into that because that's part of the media strategy is to create this turmoil, to create this, oh my goodness, we're going live at six, you know, you six six PM news, you've got to, you know, you've got to provide a comment. Well, actually, no, I don't. And while that doesn't please our media colleagues, actually what I've learned is if you do buy into that, you just buy buy into the the turmoil that's being created quite quite often unnecessarily. Yeah, and then it could become a slippery slope. And that's the hard part, right? So yeah, for sure. Hey, Simon, if there was one thing you can change in business as a leader today, what would it be? Oh, the management reporting lines and the expectations of boards and management. I mean, one of the things I learned at the Harvard course that you referenced earlier was, uh, and this was many years ago, where there was, the, the quote was, there's international bestsellers on the line between governance and management and where does it start and stop. Now, that hasn't changed, but what has got really difficult, I find, and I'm currently in the in the middle of a board pack of 110 pages for for another that commercial entity that you referenced. At the same time, our board pack for the Royal New Zealand board was 62 pages last week, and that's just status quo. Your board pack needs to go out a week before the board meeting. You're writing um, a board pack, let's say in my case, of 60 to 70 pages. By the time that meeting happens seven days later, in the speed of email, uh, the speed of Teams, Zoom you name it, what you're reading as a governor um, and what you're writing in management can so often be so out of date or all you're doing is providing context and the update is provided in a face-to-face meeting. So I think there has to be a real look at what do boards need for management and what do management need to report to boards. Now, that's not new and groundbreaking. As I said, it's been around a long time, but I think that speed of change um, to your to the theme of your podcast and changing leadership is changing. That's a real key area for people to get right. Yeah, absolutely. Yeah. And so it'll be interesting to see where that all goes for sure. So yeah, stay stay tuned to that listeners, uh, particularly if you're in a governance role or if you're in the management side or vice versa or both. Totally what Simon's saying here, there are some some areas that will, will be looked at over going forward for sure. Simon, for a lot of us, we've been employees in the past. For We know people who are employees. We have employees. So how has employees' expectations of leaders changed? I think it's that authenticity you talked about earlier. You've got to front up. You know, you, you, you've got to, as the CEO in my case, be the front person. You've got to front different groups, more groups than we've ever fronted before. In our case, we've got an athlete group that needs uh, that has a consultation phase with us. We never had that three years ago. And so they meet with the CEO every three weeks, you know, for what's on their mind in a proactive way, not in a reactionary way. And so I think the expectation on colleagues in our world and from athletes and from all staff is that there's a lot, is a hell of a lot more transparency than there's ever been in information. And so I'm, I'm very happy fronting that, but that comes with that authenticity. In the end, you will always know more than you can say as a leader, always, because confidentiality is king. It doesn't change. That won't change in leadership. And when you get into these leadership roles, you always know more than the people around you and you have to maintain confidentiality. Once you've lost that and lost that respect with your staff, in our case, the athletes, then your your leadership role is over because trust is gone. 
Yep. And when you say confidentiality, you mean because you may know some commercial things going on, some decisions being made, or what's being shared in those meetings. Is that what you mean, or is it both sides? Oh, absolutely. The, the personal side of things, you know, in my world, say with an athlete situation, maybe a selection and non-selection, that what might be going on in that athlete's world that's come to that conclusion where they were selected or not selected may have had a huge impact, but I can't talk about that. And staff similarly, where you know a bit more about what they're dealing with at home. And, you know, one, Dennis, one of my big learnings, and I'm big on this one, is, is people have stuff going on in their lives. And we often think as leaders when we come to work that our paradigm is our staff's paradigm. And just because I got up this morning with my beautiful wife and two great kids who are all healthy and our day was normal, when I walk into the office, that doesn't mean that every staff member had that same start to their day. You know, currently we're now, we've got a staff member who's at hospital with their sick child. We've had, you know, people going through some tough times at work and away from home. We've got some, you know, interesting um, dynamics around availability of people, which is causing some turmoil within the team to get things done. So as a leader, it's really critical to understand that your paradigm and your world is not that of your colleagues and those that are working with you. Mm-hmm. Um, and so it's really, as, as I said, my most significant learning is your job as a leader is to manage through that and to support your people. I have a governance philosophy that I live by, which is I'm either, I'm either going to a board meeting to support the management or I'm going to a board meeting to get rid of them. Simple as that. Yep. Sounds, yep. sounds a bit harsh, but if you think about why is there a gray area, why would I go to a board meeting and try and make management's life harder when I know that they're doing their best to get through the, the day and do the best by the organization anyway? Yeah, and I think the gray area, as you refer to, that's where organizations, leaders in that get into trouble because if there is a gray area, then, you know, come on, make a decision. It's uh, either is or isn't, and a deliberate decision is really, really important for sure. And um, Simon... With this fast-paced, change, ever-changing world, what do you think, well, what makes a leader successful today in that fast-paced, ever-changing world? Providing consistency in who they're being. Mm. You cannot be the emotional leader of today. You cannot be up and down. You cannot be reactionary yourself. When things are going at speed around you, you must maintain that level of calmness and, and um, reassurance to your staff. In any crisis media we've been through, or certainly I've been through with different organisations, you your main aim is to stay the same person that you were prior to that crisis media. And so your staff look to you. I mean, you look at all the, the leaders of the world. You, you look at them and you often don't judge them on what they've just said. You look at them and are they in control? Can they handle the situation? Are they, re, are they reactionary to with the latest email and the latest conversation, the latest issue? Or are they providing um, stability? In the workplace, because most people in middle management and lower management, they need that stability from their leaders, and that's that continuity and consistency. I often joke, as a as a, a slight aside, Dennis, when I employ people, I, I say this to every employee that's coming here that they won't see me skipping down the hallway to my office every morning, but conversely, they won't see me in my office shutting my door and not available to them and wondering whether he's approachable or not. And so I've lived by that. So I don't bring the highs and lows. Some people would say I'm a bit boring and a little bit monotoned and, and you get that. But in the end, it's that continuity that people, I think, crave. Yeah, the continuity, the consistency for sure. And I think you're so right what you're saying there, Simon. So many leaders around the world, they it's not just what they say, it's how they say it. And it's uh, and the actions they take, it has massive impact. I'm not sure many leaders in the world, well, not many, I'm sure a lot of leaders in the world don't understand the power of what they say, how they say it, and the, and the actions that they take, and how much impact that has on people, 
countries, industries, organizations, um, and everything. It's just really, really amazing. So I'm not sure yeah, they understand it. Uh, I totally agree. And particularly how the media pick up on those um, sound bites now, you know, yeah. and, and I've never worried about doing media. What I've worried about is the editing process that goes around it. Yeah. Um, so I always choose live interviews on radio if I can, if I have any control. And so, you know, leaders get caught out with that because, you know, as you say, words are powerful and they get turned into sound bites and they get turned into headlines and they're very quickly up and running. And that's that's part of what I talked about earlier, not getting caught up into the the headlines and the latest um, social media post. Yeah, absolutely. So let's talk about the future. If I got you to get your crystal ball out here, where do you see leadership being in five years? Yeah, I think it's a really tough place. I mean, I don't think we should shy away from that. You know, leadership isn't all bells and whistles. It's a tough place to be because of the things we've talked about today. So I'm not going to reiterate all those challenges but the pace of change, if you're not someone that can handle change or lead change, then get out of leadership. And one of the things that you know you have to identify very early on, and I went through these phases myself when I first became a chief executive, and the stress levels are pretty high and the anxiety goes up, you actually have to ask yourself, do I want to be in this space? And so that's the first thing I would say to your listeners is make sure you're clear on where you want to sit in the leadership scale of things. You know, some people just strive to be a CEO or a GM. I've never strived for the title. I, I never had an ambition to be a CEO. I found myself here and I'm prepared to, to live in that space and, and to work in that space and to help people where I can. But my next job, I don't have an ambition to be a CEO. I just have an ambition to be in a leadership role that matters to people around me. So I think leadership is going to be tough because of that speed that you talk about. But particularly, I'm going to give you two answers here. The not-for-profit world versus the commercial world. The not-for-profit world is being really challenged right now because the compliance in New Zealand, so we're talking health and safety and legislation around HR and employment law is incredibly tough. And those not-for-profits are not getting more resources to manage that space. And so more and more of them are getting caught out and that's, you know, with those challenges around them. In the commercial space, you know, you can adjust your business models where you need to relative to revenue and expenditure. And so you can resource up a little bit more specifically in specialty areas. But there's no doubt, as a direct answer to your question, that in the next five years and the future of leadership, it is going to be focused heavily on people management, HR, welfare, professional development, expectations of the next generation around that space in particular, teams and communication strategies. And I know that some of your listeners would say, well, that's already here for many of the organisations, but actually I think it's going to be elevated because I think we're a far more litigious society in New Zealand than we've ever been. People know their rights and welfare opportunities and they have a a much greater voice because of Mm. those media streams we talked about. Yeah, that's music to my ears because, you know, the, the roles in the, the business that I'm in and what I do as well is, is really, really great to hear. So listeners, Simon Peterson has actually shared so many great insights with us today. So Simon, thank you for joining us on today's show. If our listeners are wanting to get hold of you, where, where should they go? Oh, I think, yeah, happy to, and happy to, to hear from any of your listeners, Dennis, if I can help either via email responses or on a Zoom or a Teams call, go to the Rowan New Zealand website would be the easiest way to click through on a link to, to my email address at that point. Fantastic. So Simon, once again, thank you for joining us on the show today. Hey listeners, what we as leaders know to be true is that change is constant. Change is incredibly scary, especially with the unknown and the unfamiliar territory. It's time to adapt in our fast-moving world when leadership is changing. Hey, look out for the episodes as they've been released. Download them, have a listen, put a review, a rating, share them with your friends, your family, your network. 
Hey, if there's any questions you've got for my guests in the interviews, or if there's any feedback you'd like to give me on the show, or if you have a question for me on the Ask Dennis Freestyle episode, send me an email, dennis at leadingchangepartners.com. Hey, listeners, if you haven't checked out the Facebook group, Leadership is Changing, or on the LinkedIn side of things, if you're on that side, the LinkedIn page, Leadership is Changing, feel free to go ahead and join those communities. So once again, thanks for tuning in today. It's always great to be with you. Until next time, bye for now. Thank you for listening to this episode of Leadership is Changing with your host, Dennis Giannoutsas. Each week, we and our guests provide information and insights through exploring leading change, inspiring executives and leaders to adapt and lead a bigger game in a fast-moving world.